Hey, little buddies, it's Uncle Rick from the Uncle Rick Audio Book Club. Delighted to be with you this week for another podcast, and I think you're going to enjoy it as much as I am going to enjoy reading it to you. This comes from a book titled Nellie Custis, Daughter of Mount Vernon. Um, Here's a few words in the beginning of the book for an intro before I start with what I'm reading today. It says, Nellie Custis lived the history about which we read in our books. She was the granddaughter of Martha Washington, wife of the first president of the United States, and was adopted as their own child by General and Mrs. Washington at the end of the American Revolution. So, as we follow her from babyhood to girlhood, from girlhood to womanhood, and on into her own home, we shall be living over again with her those interesting days when George Washington was President of the United States. We shall come to know him better as we see him at home with this dearly loved little girl, and we shall see through her eyes the life in the two presidential mansions, first in New York and then in Philadelphia. But best of all, we shall know the Washington family at Mount Vernon, where they love most to be. And now we read the chapter title, Days of Pleasure at Mount Vernon. Before Nellie and her brother came to live at Mount Vernon, George Washington had kept a fine pack of hounds. All through their childhood, they were told stories about the hounds after which their grandfather and their own father, Jackie Custis, had ridden. They knew their names as if they had been persons, Vulcan, Kingwood, Singer, True Love, Music, and, you're not going to believe this, Sweet Lips. <laughs> How about that, a foxhound named Sweet Lips? But during the Revolutionary War, when the general was away for more than eight years, the stable of horses was not kept up as well as it had been, and for a while after his return, he had kept no hounds. Then he began to gather a pack of hounds, and in August of 1786 there came, you remember, the French hounds from Lafayette. Once again General Washington's chief sport became fox hunting. He rode with great skill and loved the excitement of the galloping group of horsemen and the yelp of the pack. With the coming of the hunting season, what excitement filled Mount Vernon. The house was crowded with guests, none of them staying less than a week. It was the custom to hunt three times a week. On those days, breakfast was served by candlelight, and the hunters were off long before the sun was up, too early for Nellie and her small brother to see the start. Often, following the hunt meant a hard ride over many hours across rough country. But knowing that the ladies might enjoy hearing the exciting cry when the hounds cornered the fox, the general had had roads cut through the woods in different directions. Sometimes guests in the house would coax Mrs. Washington to let them take the children along when they went to meet the hunt. How excited the children were when the long, deep notes of the hounds announced that the hunting party was coming near, and then the moment when they finally came in sight. Nellie always watched for her grandfather, and was proud when she was the first to see him as he rode up on his horse, Blueskin. She thought him the handsomest man in the world. In his sporting costume of blue coat, scarlet waistcoat, buckskin breeches, top boots, velvet cap, and whip with a long thong. The hunt over, the party would return to the house, where, at a well-spread hunt board, they would relieve their hunger and discuss the skill and courage of the leading hound, the swiftest horse, or the boldest rider. 
Young Washington was going to be a hunter himself as soon as he was big enough. This was Nellie's brother. He understood, or pretended in company that he did, what all the hunting terms meant. But Nellie was often puzzled by the talk and had to ask her grandfather about it afterwards. What did they mean, she would ask, when they talked about the speed and bottom of the pack? Speed meant, her grandfather explained, the swiftness of the hounds as they ran. When it was used in this way with the word bottom, the two words together covered not only the swiftness of the hounds, but also the distance they could run without giving up. He asked her where she had heard the phrase, and she repeated to him the words of a guest who had said that the pack was so well selected as to speed and bottom that in running, if one lead dog should lose the scent, another was immediately at hand to recover it. That meant, he told her, that the hounds were so evenly matched in speed and running ability that one did as well as the next and could take another's place. Then there was a remark she could understand about the whole pack when they were running so that they might almost be covered with a blanket. That was another way of saying the same thing. It meant that they ran so evenly that no hound was very far ahead and none fell behind. They kept so close together that one could almost have thrown a blanket over them and covered the whole pack. The French hounds were considered very fierce, and Nellie and her brother were not allowed to go by themselves to their kennels. But they could admire their beauty. Young Washington had watched them so much that he knew all their names and soon taught them to his sister. She also learned the notes of the different hounds. Long before the pack was in sight, she could tell by the voice which hound was in the lead. After the guests were gone and only the family was gathered around the great open fire, the general would tell the children stories of past hunts. One that they called for again and again was the tale of the fox in the hollow tree. One morning the dogs had found a fox on the muddy hole plantation. After a chase of an hour and a half, he was put in a hollow tree where he was fastened in. The huntsman then went on, leaving him there. The hound shortly found another fox, which was killed in an hour and thirteen minutes. The huntsman then went back to the hollow tree and let the first fox out, giving him half an hour to get away before they put the dogs on his track. Again they followed him, but after going half a mile, the fox took to another hollow tree. He was once more put out, but when within six hundred yards he found another hollow tree, they gave up hunting him, called the hounds off, and returned home to dinner. By most people, General Washington was considered stern. But from the time when she was a little girl, Nellie could always bring a smile to his face. Very often, with her winning ways, she could coax from him some desired permission which her grandmother thought it better not to give. That was how it came about that in one of these years she went to the races. These races were a great event in Alexandria each year. Nellie often heard them talked about at the table by General Washington and his friends. He was very fond of racing, and went not only when the horses were being run in Alexandria, but also when they were in the Annapolis races. Nellie had no thought of going to them until she heard that her sisters, Eliza and Patsy, who lived with their mother at Abingdon, had been. They had so much to say of the things they had done and the fun they had had that Nellie begged that she might be allowed to go too. Her grandmother felt that she was too young. It was her grandfather who finally gained Mrs. Washington's permission. He could not bear to see Nellie disappointed. Knowing that Major John Washington and his wife, who were visiting Mount Vernon at the time, had planned to go the next day, 
he persuaded Mrs. Washington to let Nellie go by telling her that the little girl would be well taken care of by them. Nellie was so happy at the thought of going to the races that she slept little that night. Early the next day, the coach was at the door, and in a short time they were on the King's Highway. They found the road crowded with carriages and neighbors on horseback, all bound for the races at Alexandria. It was a great day for Nellie, one that she never forgot, though she went to the races often when she was older. When she returned home that evening, her two sisters came with her, much to the delight of Mrs. Washington, for she was always happy when she could have all four of her grandchildren with her. Eliza and Patsy, whose real names were Elizabeth and Martha, were always glad, too, to come to Mount Vernon to visit, but never more so than when they were invited for Christmas. At least twice in these years, the coach was sent by the general to bring them to Mount Vernon for the holidays. Now that Nellie was older, she had more part in getting ready for the Yuletide than at that first Christmas when she was only four and the general was coming home from the war. For weeks, she watched the busy workers in farmyard and kitchen. She thought of the turkeys fattened from week to week so that they'd be ready for the feasting at Christmas time. In the sewing room, her grandmother had been busy for months directing the making of new winter clothes to be given to the servants. The shoemaker had been at work in his shop making shoes for everyone on the plantation. Nellie watched with joy while all the usual things were done. One morning, about a week before the great day, the household was awakened by the sound of a half-dozen axes ringing at the woodpile. From that day on, it seemed as if the sound never stopped. Meals at Mount Vernon were cooked by an open fire. In the huge fireplace in the kitchen, gooseneck andirons, as they were called, made of iron in the blacksmith shop on the plantation, helped to hold in place the great logs. Red and white oak, hickory, pine, gum, and sassafras are all burned in the kitchen. The cook chose, according to the kind of fire she wanted, which kind of wood the boys were to bring her. Sometimes she wanted wood for a slow fire, sometimes fast-burning wood for a quick one. From the cranes of iron hung a number of hooks from which swung, during all these before Christmas days, steaming kettles, quarters of beef, Young suckling pigs and rows of fattened turkeys and chickens were roasted on spits over the red-hot coals. Bread was baked in an iron bake kettle which stood on short, stout legs. When the bread was ready to bake, this kettle was placed among the hot coals and shut tight with a metal cover which was curved so that hot coals could be heaped upon it. Such perfect rolls and biscuits as those which were baked in this way have never been equaled. The corn pones that were often served for breakfast were cooked in the hot ashes. The batter cakes and the clabber cakes were cooked on a griddle which sat on four feet just over the red-hot coals. Much of this cooking, to care for the large family already at Mount Vernon and for the guests who were to come for the holidays, was going on at one time of the day or another. Was it any wonder that the three girls and their brother often found their way along the colonnade to the kitchen? The spicy odors or some smell of new baking would draw them toward the kitchen. Usually the cooks were good-natured and let them have a taste before they sent them away. In the mansion, the cedar and ivy were being hung and mistletoe was being put over the doors. This year there was holly, too, sent to the general by his brother from Lower Virginia. On Christmas Eve, it was the custom for Nellie and her brother, with any guests who might be at the house, to gather with General and Mrs. Washington in the banquet room for the ceremony of bringing in the Yule log. The children's voices 
rang out high and clear as they sang the old English carol. Come bring with the noise, my merry, merry boys, the Christmas log to the firing. On your psalteries play that sweet luck may come while the log is tending. The custom was that the yule log should be lighted only with a brand kept from last year's fire. So, at the close of the yuletide each winter, a brand was carefully stored away with which to light the next year's fire. When the log was safely laid and the brand was in place, the master poured a glass of wine on it, repeating the words, May God bless this house. The log was then lighted to be kept burning slowly through all the twelve days of the yuletide. If there was any danger of its going out, a pair of bellows kept close at hand might be used to blow it into flame. On this Christmas, the Yule log was placed in the fireplace beneath the beautiful chimney piece of white marble, which had been sent the winter before to General Washington from London by one of his admirers, Samuel Vaughan. This medal had been carved in Italy. Since it had been unpacked and set up at Mount Vernon, Nellie had spent hours before it, studying the scenes on it. It was like a picture book to her. Tonight, she showed it to her sisters. In the center was a farmer with his wife and little child returning from the fields, driving a cow and a flock of sheep. Some of the sheep were going into the shelter for the night. Beyond was the setting sun. On the left there was a picture of a boy harnessing a pair of horses which were to be hitched to a plow. His little dog was looking on with great interest. On the right was a cottage. The housewife had drawn a bucket of water from the well and was pouring it into a tub in which she would wash the vegetables piled up beside it. The firelight lit the scenes and made them seem almost alive. When the yule log was burning brightly and the carols had been sung, the children's mammy appeared at the door to take them off to bed. They were more ready to go than usual, for they wanted to be the first ones up next morning. And they were! Very early before daylight, little figures began to stir in their beds, with stockings filled to overflowing held tightly in their little arms. They stole about in the gray light of dawn, caring little for the cold, opening doors and shouting, Christmas gift to the sleeping grown-ups. Then they ran away to the nursery, where Mammy had raked open the coals and a bright fire was blazing up. After breakfast, there were family prayers, when the master read from the Bible the beautiful story of the nativity. Then the whole family joined in singing, O come all ye faithful. Nellie had never seen Holly before this Christmas. She loved the bright red berries shining out from the smooth dark green leaves. She told her grandfather that she wished there might be Holly growing at Mount Vernon. He agreed with her, and so he told Nellie to select some of the most perfect berries. These he packed, some in boxes of sand and some in shavings. On an April day of the next spring, he called her to come with him to the garden north of the front gates to help him plant the holly seed. So, so well did this holly grow that some of these plants were to go with Nellie when she grew up and went with her husband to a home of her own. After Christmas, winter shut the family in for a time. Going to church on Sunday was the only break in the week for the children. That was something they liked. They loved to see... Pages stuck together. They loved to see the coach drive up to the door. Wearing her best clothes, Nellie liked to get in with her grandmother and sit beside her, while her brother sat on the other side or next to his grandfather. 
Sometimes they drove only the short distance to Pohick Church, which they could see from the cupola of the mansion. Other times they went to Christ Church in Alexandria. No guest was thought important enough to keep the general home from church. Everyone who was staying at Mount Vernon was expected to go. The coach was often accompanied by a light carriage, in which rode some of the lady guests, while gentlemen staying at the house often chose to ride over on horseback. General Washington was not the only family that went to church regularly. Church-going was the custom in Virginia, and an important part of the social life. Driving into the churchyard were the great coaches drawn by fine horses. From them there stepped gentlemen with their hair in long powdered queues and their waistcoat ruffles standing out stiffly. They bowed out the ladies and fair young girls in satin and feathers. The young men usually came on horseback. No one was in any hurry to go into the church. The gentlemen stopped to read the advertisements posted in front or to talk about the price of tobacco or grain. The young men discussed the latest races or some favorite horse. As the bell which had called the people together stopped ringing, the congregation entered the church and seated themselves in the great box-like pews. The servants sat in the gallery. Being one of the most important persons in the countryside, the general and his family sat in one of the front pews. Nellie and Washington knew that they must sit very still, although the straight-back pews were very hard and uncomfortable, especially for short-legged boys and girls. But the general and his wife set them a good example, listening carefully to the sermon which the minister preached from the high pulpit in which he stood. At last the long service came to an end, and the congregation walked out to gather in the churchyard. That was the time to which the children had been looking forward. While the ladies exchanged greetings and the gentlemen discussed politics, the young people could visit. Nellie always managed to see some of her young friends, and sometimes she could persuade one of them to drive home with her for a little visit at Mount Vernon. The gentlemen who were discussing political matters looked curiously at General Washington in the spring days of 1789, for they knew that in New York the Congress of the United States was meeting. A president was to be chosen by the Electoral College. News traveled slowly in those days, but everyone thought that their distinguished neighbor would surely be called to this high office. When the messenger sent by Congress to announce to the general that he had been elected president arrived at Mount Vernon, Farmer Washington was out looking over his farms. The gentleman did not mention to Mrs. Washington the reason for his visit, and it was not until General Washington had returned from his fields that she knew of the honor that had come to her husband. Neither Nellie nor her brother understood at the time exactly what that meant, but they were soon to find out. They would be sorry, as their grandmother and grandfather were sorry, to leave Mount Vernon. But how could any ten-year-old girl know what a wonderful life she was to have out in the world as the adopted daughter of the first president of the United States? And just think about that. Back in those days... Most people had no idea of what it would be like to be a president or to have a president. America was just being formed into a country from 13 separate countries, former colonies of the British king. And now they've voted on their constitution, they've decided to become a country, and they've chosen George Washington, the great general of the Revolutionary War, to lead them in peace as he had in war. And they could not have picked a better man. Well, if you'd like to hear me read the entire book, Nellie Custis, Daughter of Mount Vernon, 
Join the Uncle Rick Audio Book Club and download it and another book, two books of your choice every month. And I will welcome you to my club, as I will welcome you next week to my next podcast. I look forward to reading to you again, little buddies. Fellers and gals, ladies and gents, it is always Uncle Rick's pleasure to give you a little enjoyment and a little learning as we explore the wonderful old books from the Bible to the biographies. But I must leave you now, so I will tell you once again, remember always, put God first in your life. Be a patriotic American and honor your father and your mother. So long, little buddies. Parents, if your kids love today's visit with Uncle Rick, know that they will love the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. The Uncle Rick Audiobook Club allows access to dozens more stories, both from the Bible and history, to help your kids learn about godly character. Here's what one parent had to say about the Uncle Rick Book Club. Uncle Rick products are such a delight to our family. Our kiddos listen nightly to the Bible stories and fall asleep listening to God's word. These Bible audios are such a super reinforcement to what we as parents already teach our children. They provide our kids with a kind, gentle voice, pointing them to obey God and his word. Thank you. That was from Shelley. You can access the Uncle Rick book club at UncleRickAudios.com. See you there.